turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 2. And let's, let's pray together. Father, we, we love your scriptures. We are growing in our love for your scriptures. And this morning, as you speak to us through the scriptures, we simply ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. Lord, we, we appeal to you this morning that you would allow us the, the privilege of understanding your word. And that through that understanding this morning, we would be encouraged and we would be refreshed and we would be challenged to become more like your son. Father, I pray and ask that you would help me to serve my dear friends this morning through the preaching of scripture, that you would help me to be clear that you would help me to be passionate and that you would help me to teach in such a manner that is understandable. Lord, attend to your word. We have confidence that you are with us this morning. So we look to you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Just an a encouragement to to pass your way, uh, or I want to encourage you to do this. Each and every week, 52 weeks out of the year, you faithfully and you humbly sit there. You have your Bibles open if you're older than 30, and you, for the rest of you, you have an iPhone in front of you. Uh, but you sit there and you listen to God's Word. Different men are up here speaking. You take notes. I want to ensure that knowledge never puffs up among us, that we just gain more and more knowledge of Scripture, but that it is not being applied to our lives. I want it to be applied to our lives. I want each and every one of us, myself included, to interact with these passages, with the God who is speaking to us through these passages, to, to interact and not just interact, to apply and see God and who is faithful to change us through the power of His Word. And one of the ways I think we can do that on Sunday, when we leave this place, I know it's football season. I know the Redskins are playing, and, and within another couple of weeks, you won't be watching them anyway. But, <laughs> but when you go out to lunch, or you go home, and you're sitting around at lunchtime, or even at dinner tonight, take some time to review the passage. Ask one another, what did God speak to you this morning? What did you find that you maybe could apply this morning? What, what change do you see in your life as a result of God in this passage speaking to you? 
And I am well aware that I am a fallible man trying to speak to you and preach to you the perfection of God in His Scripture. But at the end of the day, my confidence is not in my ability to articulate God's Word. My confidence is in God's ability to articulate truth and power to you through His Word because He's the one that is speaking. And so when we leave each Sunday, let's not file our notes away and not see them again until we open up our notebook the following Sunday. But let's be faithful to honor the Lord through our wealth of the scriptures, that we might be the men and women that God has called us to be through the application of God's word. Can we, can we do that as a church? I know, I know it's, it, it's a rush coming out of here, especially parents with young children, and they're thinking nap time and just finding some time to themselves. But, but sometime during the day or early in the week, let's Let's review the passage because when we do that, it will, it will build upon itself over time, especially when we're in a series like Psalms or the series we just finished in Ephesians. Now, why the Psalms? Why, why were they written? What was the purpose behind the Psalms? They, they're written to help us live life in a real world under the rule and under the reign of God. The Psalms never, wonderfully, they never deny the pain of our experience living in a fallen world, in fallen and broken bodies that, that face the challenges of suffering and trials. The Psalms never deny that pain, but identify with the pain and encourage us as the people of God to still live joyfully and to still trust God and to still depend upon the Lord and his promises. John MacArthur, in his, in his commentary on Psalms, said, In the Psalms, life often seems to be out of control. And yet all events and situations are understood in the light of divine providence as being right on course according to God's timetable. So our trials are right on course with God's timetable. And he goes on to say, Assuring glimpses of a future God's day bolsters the call for perseverance to the end. That's what we're called to in the Psalms. That in the midst of the pain and the trial that we experience, we have a God of providence, the God of providence, pro providence video to see before the God who sees before the God who knows what we're going through the God who in his sovereignty has permitted and ordained these times and these moments and in the midst of that his promises never stop his promise of faithfulness and goodness and mercy and kindness The Psalms are here to give us hope. It is a book filled with professions of faith, honest emotions, trust in God, and praise to Him. And it helps us to speak to God. These these Psalms are designed to help us talk to God in our darkest moments. We can talk to Him because we believe that He is sovereign. We believe He is in control. And we can praise Him because we have seen all the amazing works that God has done in our lives. We've seen all the amazing works God has done in the lives of the men and women of Scripture. 
We not only have a written experience, but we all have a personal experience of the faithfulness of God. Now, the Psalms are made up, as we reviewed the first week, there are seven different types or, or genres of Psalms. And in some of the Psalms, there are more than one type. So, so in one Psalm, you might have a, a, a wisdom Psalm and a, and a kingship Psalm, or you might have a lament Psalm. At the same time, there will be a, a praise, an area of praise in that Psalm. The other Psalms, the confident Psalms, the lament Psalms, the hymns, the remembrance Psalms, the thanksgiving and kingship Psalms will come cover those in the coming weeks. So we'll go through all the different genres of Psalms as well as throughout the year. We'll, on occasion, when we start our series in John, we'll take a break and, and review another Psalm. Because I want you to become very familiar with this book. I was just talking to somebody this week who just said, you know, that's, the Psalms are one of the, the books that I don't read very much. And we all, we all have a, a few favorite Psalms. Just a few, you know, that we just can return to again and again, but, but there's a lot more there because it's all God's Word and it's all rich. So we want to, we want to be able to, to start and, and find our way, work our way through the pathway of Psalms and to experience all that these authors want us to experience. Now, these Psalms cover a thousand year period from the first Psalm, Psalm 90, where Moses wrote that to David's time ending and, and going through the, the, the post-exilic uh, Israel. And so these, these Psalms have, have a variety of history and experience that, that can meet all of us. And even though they are thousands of years old, they're, they're relevant. They speak to us today. I think we'll, we saw that last week when we walked through Psalm 1. And, and this week, I think we'll see the same thing in Psalm 2, which is a kingship psalm and a wisdom psalm. It's, it's two genres in one psalm, but it's a companion psalm to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, as we recall from last week, Psalm 1 is, a, is an introduction to the entire Psalter. And the, the, the purpose, the Psalm 1 is all about two ways to live. Either we're going to walk the way of the righteous or we're going to walk the way of the wicked. And Psalm 1 sets that up to say that is what you're going to discover throughout the entire book of Psalms. You're going to see time and again the ways that the wicked live. And you're going to see time and again throughout the Psalms the way the righteous live. And which way is the way you are going? And in Psalm 1 we saw there was only one who ever lived the, verse, the, the opening verses that we saw who, who did not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who never stood in the way of sinners, who never sat in the seat of the scoffers. There was only one man who was blessed who could do that and that was the man Jesus Christ. But he made a way for us to live so that we do not walk in the way of the wicked and we do not stand in the way of sinners and we do not sit in the seat of scoffers. He has made a way for us that we can be like trees planted by streams of water with deep roots sunk, that we will yield fruit in season. Our leaf will not wither. And in all that we do, the scripture says we will prosper. Blessed is that man, and that is us. He opens with those words in Psalm 1, blessed is the man. But then in Psalm 2, 
a companion, and also part of the introduction to the entire psalm. Psalm 2, let me read that to you. Read along with me. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Although not stated, as you can see, there's no author stated in this psalm. It appears that this psalm has been written by David because Acts 4.25, when the, the people are rejoicing at Peter's release from prison, they, they speak this psalm. And what they say in this psalm, and I'll read it to you. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And so we can see that in Acts, we have an understanding that, yeah, we, we think this psalm was written by David. And that, that's important because this psalm is a kingship psalm. This psalm is a, a coronation psalm. This psalm, when, when a, a ruler was installed in Zion, when a ruler was installed as the, the king of Israel, there, there was a coronation. And in this coronation, God anoints through the prophet, God anoints the new king. And this psalm is, is about that coronation because often at times, the king of Israel, when this king was anointed, the, the nations around him could rebel. They, they might rebel. They did rebel. They did plot in vain against this new king because they were, they were known as vassal nations. They were servant nations to this new king. And so there was always talk of rebellion. And so this psalmist is recording this and he's talking about in, a, in the natural, in the practical, this, this coronation. But and it is possible, David, speaking of his own coronation, that, he, that we read about in 2 Samuel 7, because David is God's loyal servant. David was anointed by Samuel. David had a covenant by God, from God, to always 
preserve David's kingdom and his dynasty, and that one day through David, the ultimate king would come and rule all the nations. So this coronation psalm sets us up for that. But more importantly, more importantly than this kingship psalm, this coronation, is that this is a messianic psalm. This is a psalm that prepares us and tells us of the coming of Christ and who he is and his reign. Now, when, when the author, if it is David, wrote this psalm, he was not sitting down saying, I'm going to write a messianic psalm. He was not thinking that. But now as post-cross Christians, we can look back and read this psalm and say, oh, wow, that's a messianic psalm. That's a, a psalm about Christ. This is a psalm that, that speaks, and it's, it's, it's a spiritual battle going on here. Yes, it is the nations raging against and plotting in vain against maybe the king of Israel, David, but more importantly, it's a messianic psalm. And when we read this, we, we read about nations raging and peoples plotting in vain and the kings of the earth setting themselves against and the rulers taking counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And we see, okay, there's something more to this. It's about our world rejecting the lordship of Christ. It's about our world saying to the king of kings, I have no desire. I reject your lordship. That's what this book is about. And this, now messianic psalms are few. There's, there's not a lot of messianic psalms and we should pay careful attention to them. And we want to, we want to, when we're reading, look for those that are messianic psalms. But more importantly than the, the, the few messianic psalms is that in every psalm, we want to see the gospel. Because from Genesis through Revelation, every page of scripture has the gospel. It's not always standing right in front of you, clear as day. Sometimes you have to kind of look for it. And you don't want to read into it, but you do because it is the scripture and the, the, the theme of redemption, the thread of redemption, of Christ's coming that we read about in Genesis and Christ's coming that we read about in Revelation. It runs through every page of the Bible. And so we want to be able to look for that. I remember when my kids were young, they loved the book, Where's Waldo? And we would sit down and we would look at these, for hours we could sit and go through page after page of Where's Waldo? Any, do, you, do you know Where's Waldo? You know, and and I, I loved Where's Waldo? And sometimes I'd say to the kids, come on, sit down and let's look at Where's Waldo? And they'd go, Dad, no thanks, we, we know where Waldo is. And it's like, oh, well, I want to find Waldo. Come on, sit, sit with me. Let me look for Where's Waldo. And every psalm, it's like Where's Waldo? In every passage, where do we see the gospel? And like I said, sometimes it's a bit veiled. Sometimes it's just one word that expresses more than just one word. And I think we'll see that today. Now, Psalm 2 provides a very specific example for us 
of what we read about in Psalm 1 last week, where there was the man, blessed is the man who did not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And this was a psalm about who we are personally, but we get to Psalm 2, and now we're talking about nations. And, and we see that Psalm 2 is, is Psalm 1 coming to life. That nations are now walking in the counsel of the wicked. They're standing in the way of sinners. They're sitting in the seat of scoffers. Kings and rulers are finding that there's, they're, they're going their way. They're going the way of the wicked. And in this psalm, in this psalm too, we are going to see the Lord take his place among the people. Now, there are four scenes in this drama. Verses 1 through 3 is scene 1. Verses 4 through 6, scene 2. 7 through 9, scene 3. And 10 through 12, scene 4. So, so we'll get through one scene at a time. In, in scene 1... The psalmist speaks. So there's four, there's different voices speaking here. And in scene one, the psalmist speak. And he begins by saying, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And then he quotes the kings. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. He is speaking and then telling what these kings are saying. The, psalm asks, the psalmist asks a great question. Why do the nations rage? Why do they plot in vain? Why? This attitude against God in the psalmist's view is just simply stupid. He's, he's making a point here. How can they set themselves against this God who is all-powerful? Because the psalmist knows God. And so he asks this question, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? How, what do they hope to achieve? How can they possibly succeed against God? They are wise in their own eyes. Their vanity is foolish. They are saying, let us burst their bonds. Let us cast away their cords. They're, they're talking about the Lord and his, his king who has been set upon his holy hill. And they are rebelling against God. This is typical of the fool that we read about in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. He hates God and his heart rages against God. And we see that in our world today. Nations rage. People plot. People reject God and his anointed. Time and time again, we read in our newspapers and online and we hear on the news more and more people finding every way possible and bringing lawsuits to take God's name out of our society, to find ways to quiet God. And the psalmist simply says, why? Why do they even try? Why do they even try? And, and 
I think it's encouraging to know that this psalmist understands the foolishness of this act of trying to remove God from our culture and our world and to try and take counsel against him, to try and set ourselves against him and to try and burst our bonds, to try and free ourselves from what people consider the constraint of God's rule and God's reign. They are loudly proclaiming their independence from God. The goal of their rebellion is their own lordship. And we see that in our world. But let's not, let's be careful because there are times in my own life I see pushing against the lordship, pushing against God's ways. And as Christians, we all can do that. As Christians, we all can try to pull apart the bonds, the, the place that God has us, to cast away the cords that God has around us. God has set us, Scripture says, in pleasant places, but there are times when our world is not filled with pleasant places. And we push against the Lord. And we push against His sovereign plan. We push against His sovereign wisdom. We try to make our own way. How often I have thought in the midst of a trial, if I were God, I would not do it this way. If I were God, I would not be going through this trial. How often we think like that and how, and how that is just like these kings who push God aside. And we don't see ourselves raging against God and yet at times I think we might. Last year I was driving down the road and we were living in Charlotte, North Carolina at the time and we were working hard to get this church plant up and going and I had gotten the news that we were moving forward and then an hour later I got a phone call saying we needed to take a step backward and, and it was like back and forth. And I remember driving down the road and I was just saying to God, why are you doing this to me? Why? Are you capricious? Do you just suddenly give me a yes and then a no? What is going on? Lord, I don't understand I was, in my own way, raging against the Lord. How long, O Lord? And it's often in the midst of trial and pain and suffering that we ask God, we we rage against God. God, why? Why so long? Will this go on forever? Will it be like this a year from now? We can be like these, these kings. Then scene two comes along. And the Lord speaks. It's not just the narrator speaking. And it's not just the rebellious kings speaking. Now the Lord speaks. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Now this 
from what I studied, is the only time in Scripture where it says that God laughs. And it's not a pretty scene when God is laughing. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, and this this doesn't seem like a, a terrifying statement. As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I mean, to me, a terrifying statement w- would be, you're dead. <laughs> you you, you want to be independent? You're going to die. That would be terrifying. But he, he says something different. And his laughing and his derision, it's, it's just, it just seems so unlike God. It's hard, it's hard to understand. I mean, listen, there's, there's this thing in, in, in a man's world called guy humor. Guy humor is when you have a group of guys and their wives sitting around like we would have at our leadership meetings or couples meetings, whatever. And the guys are just, there's, there's, in, in at times there can seem like there's almost no restraint. Um, you don't care about the guy sitting next to you's feelings. You know, this isn't, this isn't hug time. And uh, so, you know, I mean, it's just like you look at a guy and you say, you know, I once used a shirt like that to wash my dog with. Um, you know, and, and our poor wives are sitting there going, how could you say that? You know, the wives just don't get the guy humor. And that's okay because they're not guys. Uh, but, but guys get guy humor get guy humor. And, and it doesn't bother us. We don't go home and, and fret. We just go home and think about what we're going to say the next time we're with that, with that guy. That's what we do with guy humor. And, and we're just, revenge is ours, says the guy. And so here, here as, as the Lord sits in heaven, it gives this picture. He is reigning and ruling. He is over all. None of this raging, none of this setting themselves against him, none of their counsel with one another even phases God one bit. He sits in heaven. And not only does he sit in heaven looking down, looking over, ruling and reigning, but he does something. He laughs. I love this picture, not because God is laughing derisively, not because God is mocking them, but what it tells me is I have an all-powerful sovereign God. I have a God who rules and reigns, and when I look around the world today and I see nations raging, I see people wanting to stamp out Christianity, I see the world falling around me like it does from diseases and wars and famines and, and immoral leadership, and I look around and I see that and I say, you know what? God is not moved. He sits in heaven. And he laughs. And when some nation wants to stamp out Christianity, God laughs. And he is sovereign over all. And in these verses, the Lord speaks. This passage should give us great hope in God. He's the all-powerful ruler and king. He's unmoved by nations. He's unmoved by politics. He's the master of the universe. 
And he speaks to them in his wrath. He speaks to them in his fury. He terrifies them. And he does it, he does it by, by these words. I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And what he does, what he's saying there is this. Christ is coming. Christ has come. The world, the devil, the sin, the raging of nations, the council, all that. All that is under the rule and reign of Christ. Christ is coming. This messianic psalm tells us the king of Zion, the king of kings, not the king of Israel. No, the the one who was promised in the covenant God made with David that one day there would be one who sits on the throne who is eternal, one who sits on the throne whose reign will never end. That is the king that is on the holy hill and that is the king you should be terrified of. That is the king whose fury and wrath will be made known on the final day. That is the king who we read about is coming one day again. And that king, that king is ruling and reigning and rage all you want. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That prophetic word right there puts the gospel on display. That's the gospel. Christ has come. That's the gospel. God is at work, and the ultimate king is coming. So the narrator has spoken in scene one, as well as the wicked and rebellious kings. And then in scene two, we see God speaking. And now in scene three, verses seven through nine, we see Jesus entering into the picture. He's on the scene, and he's speaking. And this is what he says. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Jesus is now speaking. Jesus proclaims his own relationship with God and he gives us a foretaste of what our relationship with God is going to be because God is saying, you are my son, I've begotten you. Doesn't that bring us to the gospels of when Jesus is water baptized? Behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And we see that that Jesus is, is... At peace, he's connected to his father. And God has installed him as the ruler and as the sovereign one. And that he is giving him the nations as his heritage. And the ends of the earth as his possession. The perfect man from Psalm 1 is now installed as the king over all. And he is speaking 
He speaks of his sovereign rule. He speaks of what it is going to look like. And he gives a clear warning of danger to all of us, to these kings. And he says, they shall break them with a rod of iron. Now, in the Hebrew, that actually, that word break can be translated rule. You shall rule them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. There is this warning, this this. And it is, it's, a, it's a warning of gospel love that, hey, if you follow the path that you're on, this is what happens to those who come under the rule and reign of Christ. And at some day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But there will be a day when he says to me, you know, depart from me, I never knew you. And as we read in, in Psalm 1, that the way of the, the righteous is known by God, but the way of the wicked, verse 6 of Psalm 1, will perish. And that is the continuation here in Psalm 2. And that is what you're going to read about throughout the Psalms. That's why this, these two Psalms are an introduction. The way of the righteous is blessed, but the way of the wicked will perish. They'll be broken to pieces like a potter's vessel. They'll be broken with a rod of iron. They will experience and be terrified by God's wrath and fury. That is, that is the way of the wicked. But then, scene four. The narrator jumps back in. And he speaks again, and what he speaks is gospel truth. Thank God for the gospel. Thank God that every psalm ends with hope. These two psalms, Psalm, psalm 1 and Psalm 2, are perfect introductions to other psalms because although they're not messianic psalms, they are saturated with gospel hope. And this psalm especially not only is messianic in introducing us to the coming Savior, but it is a message of gospel hope. Read these last words with me in verse 10. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in your way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Be wise and be warned are two favorite expressions in wisdom literature that you would read in Proverbs. And so that's why this psalm is also a, a wisdom psalm because there is a warning here. Be wise, be warned, do these things, serve the Lord. And what this psalmist is bringing them back to is the gospel hope of repentance. He's talking to the very kings who were raging against the Lord, who were taking their counsel against God, who were setting themselves up against the rule and reign of God. And he's telling them, now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. O rulers of the earth, you who were so stupid in rebelling against God, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling that you can serve him. Kiss the Son. Submit yourselves to Christ. Come under his lordship. Repent. 
The, the very fact that these rebellious kings who, who God mocked and scoffed and laughed at derisively, these very kings now have the opportunity to turn to God. Is that not our gospel? Is that not the good news of the gospel? And if we, in some ways, are like these kings where we have turned away from the Lord, we have rage at times against God, we have at times separated ourselves from the Lord, we can return. We can repent because the gospel is being proclaimed here. Be wise and be warned. Serve the Lord with fear. Kiss the Son. In other words, come under His submission. Return to the Lord and repent lest you perish because the way of the righteous is blessed. The way of the wicked perishes and the wrath of God is real. And apart from understanding the wrath of God, I mean, twice in this, this passage, this, this, this psalm, we see God's wrath coming to bear. We see God's terrifying nature coming to bear. We see God's fury coming to bear. We see God dashing and breaking coming to bear. We see God saying, he will be angry and you will perish. And yet in the midst of this, the king has been set on his holy hill. And the way of repentance is possible. The gospel is available to you now. And if you are not a believer, this, this passage is saying, repent, come to Christ, fear God, be warned, be wise. The way of the righteous is with Christ. The psalmist speaks again and again and offers mercy and grace to the very ones who've plotted against God. They are offered forgiveness and hope. And there are some imperatives here. There are some commands here. And the question is, do you serve the Lord with fear? Do you rejoice with trembling? Do you live under submission to the Son? Do you kiss the Son? The psalmist gives us an opportunity to repent. But he gives us an opportunity to, to once again lift our eyes to the holy hill to see Christ ruling and reigning over all of life and all of us. And the mercy and goodness and hope of God is once again revealed. And look at the very last sentence in this passage, in this book. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now, how did Psalm 1 begin of these introductory psalms? Blessed is the man who does not. Here is blessed is the man in Psalm 1 who does not do something. And Psalm 2 ends with blessed is the man who does something, who takes refuge in him in the Son, in Christ, in the Lord. Blessed is the man who does that. What does this psalm say to us? 
Well, it tells us this, that repentance, even in the worst of our rebellion, is made possible by God's grace. Mercy is given. Mercy is given. And what a wonderful, potent promise at the end. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. These introductory psalms are here to provide a gateway into the coming psalms to remind us that as we walk through the other psalms, the remembrance psalms and the confidence psalms and the psalms of lament and the thanksgiving psalms and the psalms of hymns and praises, that as we walk through those psalms, we want to we want to build on this foundation of looking back and remembering there are two ways to live. We follow the way of Christ. We follow the way of the wicked. And the way of Christ is blessing and the way of the wicked is perishing. And we want to be blessed. We want to be blessed. Let's pray. Father, thank you that no matter where we look in your word, the gospel speaks to us and it tells us of the love of your son for the world. And Lord, we've experienced that love. And as we move on into the other Psalms of your inspired word, Lord, would you speak to us, please, and remind us the way we're to live and of the good news of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would bless your church this morning. May they experience your love and your grace. May they be aware of your forgiveness through mercy and grace. God, bless my dear friends this morning, I pray in Jesus' name.